In this compilation episode about future school thinking, we hear from past guests Philip Britton, MBE, Gemma Gibson, Dr. Catherine Windsor, and James Warland. I'm always talking about the future school or the future of education. Why is it important to ensure education is future focused? And what are you doing at BGS to ensure that your girls get access to more future oriented or future proof ways of teaching? For our students, we really want them to be the creative thinkers, change makers and problem solvers of the future. I think we can all acknowledge that the education that we had when we were at school back in the 20th century doesn't cut the mustard nowadays. It has to be far more future focused than that. Employers want more. I think the Times Education Research last year said that 50% of employers would like to see education reimagined so that it's better employees and that the actual actually leads to better business as well. So they're really focusing on things like skills to do with negotiation, flexible thinking, judgment, and that all important one, creativity, which I think can sometimes get squeezed out in some schools, which is really important for me. I think we also teach our girls metacognition so that they're active learners and they know how they learn best because that's what they need when they go off to university and when they go off into their careers as well. And as we've talked about, it is a VUCA world at the moment. I think we've been talking about that for about the past 10 years and I think the past three years has just been even more volatile than ever. So having that inner confidence to be able to deal with change is so crucial. So it's essential that education is future focused in order for our students to survive in this strange, weird, wonderful, ever-changing world. Yeah, it is. It's always going to be ever-changing, but you'll kind of note about how fast it's changed, but it's all technology driven. We often forget that we haven't and aren't evolving or changing as fast as technology and we never will be. And we're just going to be caught up into it until we all fall over. Can I just ask your thoughts? It wasn't one question, but just around chat GPT, because again, it's being talked around a lot in schools, obviously, since it came out at the beginning of the year. I just wondered what your views and how you're approaching it at BGS. I think we have to embrace it. You know, it's here now. There's no point getting up in arms about it and saying that's the end of essays. I don't think it is. We actually need to look at using it. Um, So it could be cited as a reference, potentially, in things that students are working on. I think it would be useful for students to put an essay title into it and then critique the essay and see how they would do it differently. I think it does have a sort of certain style to it when you look at how it's written. So I think you can tell it's sort of computer generated and not done by a human. So, I mean, my view is we've got to embrace all of these things. I know that IB has come out and said they've got a statement on it. And I, and I hope that the British education system will come up with their views as well. But yeah, we've got to embrace it. I want you to crystal ball gaze. So if you were to look into your crystal ball, Gemma, what would the future of education look like in 2050? What's going to still exist that we're doing today? And what do you think is going to change? Maybe then what should change? So in terms of what should change, I really want to see education be more equitable, obviously around gender, but also race. Uh, You know, I really want all students to feel equally valued in education and also to do with social backgrounds as well. I worked for a decade in the state sector, uh, sometimes working with students from very deprived backgrounds. And the gap between our um, 
richer families and our most deprived families is, is vast in this country. And that has got to change. So I'm really passionate about um, making that difference. I really want to see some exciting tech in the classrooms. Um, I, I really think that we'll see be seeing mixed reality. We're obviously dipping our toe into VR already, um, but in 50 years, there's got to be mixed reality going on. And the classrooms have got to look different. They've looked the same since Victorian times. Uh, we work really hard on trying to create uh, collaborative spaces here at BGS, and uh, we've particularly done the sixth form up recently. And I love seeing the girls working collaboratively on writing walls. Um, you know, students aren't want to sit in rows. They want to work in groups and move around and, and have that flexibility. So I'd like to see our classrooms looking very different. I do think single sex schools will still be here. I think there's always going to be a place for all girls education. Um, but I'd also really like to see us being more global in our education, broader. Um, obviously, we're an IB school, and uh, I'm really passionate about that breadth in the sixth form, um, particularly the maths, which obviously, as we know, Rishi Sunak's keen to get everyone to study maths until uh, 18. We already do. Um, but also around languages. Um, I... I love languages. You know, I've learned um, French and Spanish. I worked in Brussels, you know, working in French. Um, I, um, I've lived abroad and students in schools in Asia are learning in their second language. So English being their second language fluently. And then on top of that, they're learning French, Spanish, German, Mandarin. So I think the English speaking world is vastly behind other parts of the world. Well, so many uh, people in, in the English-speaking world only speak English. And we've got, you know, people in other parts of the world speaking three or four languages. So I'm really passionate about languages. And I, I'd love to see that broader education so that all students are learning a language up until uh, 18. And I'd really like to see a move away from traditional exams. Um, we've got to be using tech. I've been told recently that it's going to take 10 years before they can change GCSEs uh, onto tech. Th that is just beyond belief. Um, and yeah, and also I I'm really passionate about the fact that traditional exams don't suit everybody. And if I, I think about students with ADHD or ASD who are bright and articulate and will go off to have amazing careers, but they can't sit and do an exam. And I just, you know, I've, I've, I've really struggled with exam results being this value judgment on, on a child. Um, so I'd love to see a move away from that where, you know, students can demonstrate their abilities through group work or presentations or, uh, I don't know, lots of different ways. So um, I'd really like to see a move away from that. Well, in 27 years time, we, we, we can see whether or not your, your, your prophecy has come true. Uh, I'm, I'm with you on all points. By the way, um, I think the, the sooner we can get away from rote exams, you know, particularly when I, I, I speak to my son and he was because my younger daughter is now doing chemistry at GCSEs and he's he goes, I don't remember any of it. And he got an A star. 
or an eight or a nine, whatever, it is, a nine. And it's just like, he goes, I don't remember it. And I'm going, the, the, here is the point. He, ha- he had to learn it to pass an exam. And right now he's thriving, doing things he wants to do, and he knows everything about it. So 10 years to turn it into a, a digital exam. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think we got to get rid of it before we t- try and digitize it. I want to talk about how education is changing because everyone talks about the future of education. We're inundated with everything to do with AI at the moment. It's suddenly become a reality of dystopia, you know, and all those things that we've seen in the past. Education is having to keep pace and we need to make sure it's fit for purpose and relevant for the kids that you are shooting through your schools. Are there any emerging trends in international education that leaders should be prepared for? It's not necessarily a trend, but I think global citizenship is something that all international schools are very, very aware of and we promote heavily. That should be on the agenda of all schools because we are going down a path where globalization is a real thing. We are becoming one world. Countries are becoming more and more accessible. So I think schools have a responsibility to be preparing their students to be entering that world where it's very, very normal to be working and living in other countries. And even if you are based in your home country, I'm sure, depending on the company that you belong to, you will be working with people from different backgrounds and cultures and creeds and all those sorts of things. So it's a big thing in international schools, not just for our context, but also for when the students leave global citizenship. You mentioned tech already, and that's obviously a huge topic at the moment. The last 12 months, obviously, AI has just gone exponential. What I've been most pleased about is the response to the emerging AI has evolved, I guess, over the past year or so. I think initially, there was a lot of fear, a lot of hesitation, a lot of uncertainty. But now now that it's understood and different schools and different organizations are starting to utilize the power of AI, that fear is disappearing a little bit. It's only going to get bigger. It's only going to become more prominent. So schools, again, have a responsibility to be keeping up to date and educating students for the world that they're going to be entering. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, technology is a lever, it's an enabler, and far too often it's easy for it to be the driver because we believe that it's going to solve all of our problems. And, you know, we always get into human laziness where it's like, oh, this technology is going to just make my job easier. Actually, it's just going to do my job for me. I read somewhere this week that companies are very disenfranchised right now with the idea of remote working. We saw that as a natural kind of hangover from COVID lockdowns is that we could do it. So people wanted to do it. But as we've talked about, people need people. There is this great sense of you can't build a community online. It's not as deep. It's quite narrow and thin in terms of what depth you can get. I just wondered what your thoughts are on the people connection and the future of work. Do you think that everyone's going to be remote or do we need a sense of being in person? I'm definitely with you in the sense of people need people. And I've mentioned a couple of times the the sense of belonging. That's not impossible, but I think it's certainly more challenging to achieve when you are working or, or learning remotely. There have been some incredible things that have emerged from the experience that the education industry had throughout the pandemic. And there's been some great discoveries and some things that have come from that, which have helped our industry evolve and move forward. I'm definitely an advocate for face-to-face. I'm definitely an advocate for those 
formal and, and informal interactions that you have with people. The remote aspect of work and life is a tool that can be utilized, absolutely, and, and we are doing that right now. It's definitely got its place, but in terms of a full replacement, I personally wouldn't like to see that, and I think a balance between the two. So utilizing it when it's required and, and when it's suitable, but going back to the default of face-to-face, -face, I think is important. And I think there's a lot to be said just about the human side of physically sitting next to someone and reading body behaviors and observing them in person. So a combination of the two is probably where the future should go. It's just about being adaptable and flexible. That's what I think lockdown taught everybody. There's a sense of resilience, but we could be adaptable and flexible. But the problem is sometimes, as, as what I found, is that when you offer it up, it feels like you're being flexible because you're offering remote working. Problem is then it doesn't become flexible. It becomes a fixed mindset of that's what we're doing as opposed to being we will adapt as and when it needs to happen that's in the benefits of the person and the business. And we're going through our own kind of challenges with that because you know it's fascinating because people just got stuck into that routine and it became a new fixed adaptive way rather than being flexible. What are the challenges of the future for international schools? It's a good question. And hope I've painted a very rosy picture of our international sector. And that definitely is the case. But there are challenges out there. And, and I would say a big one is definitely competition. The international schools, especially in certain parts of the world, so Southeast Asia being one, the Middle East being another, they, especially the last 10, 15 years, the number of schools has increased exponentially. And I think we're reaching a point where the market is not far away from reaching saturation points if it hasn't already. So that's definitely a challenge for new schools, especially finding their place and establishing themselves. Another challenge which is linked to that is recruitment and retention of teachers. Teachers are, are in an incredibly powerful position. I mentioned before that an education degree is a ticket to anywhere they want to go in the world. And that's absolutely true. So schools have to make themselves attractive. They need to prioritize the experience that their staff have and make sure that we're appealing, not just to new staff, but making sure that we're spending time keeping the staff that we've already got on hand. So I think that's uh, just in relation to numbers of schools and things like that, I'd say that's where probably the main challenges lie moving forward. There are loads, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's amazing how many new schools can open up. And as I say, it is competition. It's why you need to establish and be authentic and have your own vision and values and live into them. I find a lot of schools write a lot of corporate navel gazing about who they are, what they believe in. And actually, culture is how you feel. Brand is how you feel. It isn't actually what you write. It's, I think established schools will do a good job. They just got to make sure they don't take their eye off the ball and try and be something they're not because people do see through it. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. I want to kind of get on to um, your experience, Kate. You've been a head of school for 25 plus years. You've got a huge amount of experience as an educator. The changes you must have seen in those 25 years must have been enormous, but there must be some commonalities or some things that maybe haven't changed. 
I'm just really interested to get your lens on what do you think's changed the most and what do you think really hasn't changed? And that's good. I mean, it's two things. One, to have spent, you know, this is my 25th year as a head of school and I've been an educator for much longer. And then to have boys that are almost 10 years apart. So I have one son that graduated from high school at 2012 and one in 2021, right? So 2012 went to school, to boarding school without a phone, without social media, without all of those things. Number two went with those things. You know, my first job, I didn't have, and I talk about this in terms of, you know, I didn't have email or computer or all sorts of things. So I'm all for technology. I think it can amplify all of the opportunities that we have in education in very positive ways. I also know that more is not always more. And how do we manage that? The change in terms of the demands on educators have increased, particularly when you think about athletics, right? I think athletics are a really important part of teaching kids competition, how to win, how to lose, how to prep for something, how to get feedback in the public domain, right? You missed the foul shot. You hit the goal. You did the foul. Like all of those are things are great. Biggest change when I was a coach 30 years ago, you know, was the 80s, right? So remember AIDS, bloodborne pathogens. We were trained that if somebody got a bloody nose, we knew what to do. Put on the gloves, do that. Fast forward to today, we know all sorts of things about training, about concussions, about all of this. Just to be able to coach a team involves way more technology. You look at a classroom teacher, right? We used to teach our classes, put the kids in study hall and go work on our lessons. Now we come back and we have email from the department chair, the head of school. We're going to jump on a webinar for professional development. We're going to respond to parents who have questions and we're asking to join in partnership. There isn't that evening to reflect, to plan and prepare. There's a whole nother set of work that comes. Do I believe in communication and partnership with parents? Absolutely. Do I think it's wonderful that our professional development, we can get online and it can be timely and we have access to experts that we didn't when you actually had to go to a conference, you actually had to find the book, you had to order the book, you had to read the book. I mean, there are all these things that are both wonderful and take up a lot of time that make it harder to be an educator. And I think, you know, again, I will say like, I mean, you know better, you need to do better. And yet, I don't know how you do it all. Yeah. And you can't do it all. I think time is the one thing that we're squeezing out and we're finding it harder to find the time, the right time through disruption, through technology, through this 24-7, everything is accessible, available. We as parents have got to do a better job. But again, we're caught in this hamster wheel of probably not being the best role models. And then they go to school and and educators themselves have got to be upskilled and go, actually, I need to be relevant. I need to understand why these girls are on their phones uploading selfies or doing this or wondering why, you know, they got these comments or why they're so addicted to TikTok reels or whether it's to YouTube shorts. You know, these are constantly evolving and all the the big providers out there, everyone's just dangling for attention. So all this has become now is it's they're fighting for attention. And the biggest catastrophe is the mental health piece. That to me is the biggest worry. It's all this great stuff with technology being an enabler and it can be this stuff. That's great. And you adopt it in your school. But then how do we make sure that we, you know, we are mentally strong, give ourselves time? I still need to learn and I'm trying to bring it with my kids and it's not easy. Time and choice are the two things that are colliding. We have way more choices than we had. There's also, certainly with the students at Miss Porter School and our parents and our faculty, 
that you can make the right choice. So you perseverate on all sorts of decisions that actually probably don't demand so much thinking. And again, I think a very stark, when I grew up, one or two toothpaste, you use them to brush your teeth, right? And it was no big deal. You could spend a half an hour, 45 minutes in the toothpaste aisle these days trying to decide, you know, all of the various components that you might need around toothpaste. And yet, you know, a dentist would probably tell you flossing is way more important when it comes down to dental health than toothpaste and whether or not you brush your teeth. Most people don't floss. And if you're like me, you overpay and spend a lot of time trying to find just the right toothpaste. So, you know, I think those sorts of things can be replicated over and over and over again, where we're spending time on things that don't matter and not actually doing what's best personally and for your mental health and for, you know, that. So, yeah, and I love it. I think time versus choice. I like that as just too easy access as framing. I talk about content shock a lot. It is, it's just this overwhelming burden. And you can feel guilty. There's a burden if you don't do your research, if you don't pay attention, if you're not, you know, that somehow you didn't get the best deal or you didn't get the best, like whatever it is. If you were to look in your crystal ball, because you do sit at the top of a very well-established and successful school with great history, if you were to look forward 10 and then 50 years, what differences would you see at Bolton School? 10 years piece uh, first, because that, that's a feasible length of time. And what, what are going to be the big issues in education? What are schools going to be doing? Technology will continue to play its part, but it will always continue to play its part alongside real people educating real people. Nailing that one down once and for all would be really, really powerful for those who champion e-learning in education. And let me stick my neck out. There will not be a time when computers are educating our young people. There is already a time when computing, AI, e-learning is absolutely one of the tools of the trade that teachers must use. But an education is about far more than just learning things. It's about that role modeling. It's about an apprenticeship in how to be a human being. And to have that apprenticeship in how to be a human being, you have to have role models who can do that. So uh, that's what is not going to be happening in 10 years' time. There will not be robots teaching people. But I do think there will be AI helping practice, helping those homework, running the uh, intervention sessions, the how did that maths problem work. I can see lots of that being done, lots of that repetitive, tell me again, madam, tell me again, sir, how does that work? I can picture pupils asking a computer that because that would be a better use of time when human beings are doing something else. What are human beings going to be doing? They're going to be role modeling a lot of social change that is going to be occurring because I think the pastoral life of a school is going to be front and center. And I think teachers who are passionate about their subjects can also be passionate about young people growing up. And that is not an either or as it's so often portrayed. Because what adults face in the next few years is educating young people to live in a world that the adults themselves didn't live in. And we've seen that already, still are seeing it with social media. We don't know how to educate young people about social media because we can't remember what we did when we were young. And our grandparents can't, certainly can't remember what they did when they were young. And that really hasn't happened since people wondered what the hell you were meant to do when crossing the road in front of a car instead of a horse. It's a generational change. And I think that is really important, how we 
nurture and educate and support. And that's talked about in terms of well-being and mental health agenda, isn't it, nowadays? But it's also about being open-minded. It's being open-minded to actually the challenges that the young people do have right now. And, you know, your point about we don't know. What we can't do as adults is go, well, I didn't do that when I was young. It's completely different. What we've got to do is we've got to put ourselves in the shoes of the boys and the girls, the young men and the women who are coming through education and go, well, I've done anything differently if I was their age. What we have on our side is the luxury of experience. So, but what we do not lack is we don't have enough of rather, is probably the knowledge of what is really going on. I think if that's something we can be doing more in schools to plug social mobility, it's to take time because we don't take enough time to understand what is going on in these black boxes that we all hold. They're dangerous, but incredibly powerful, right? We always fall down the side of they're really bad, you know, screen time, you know, predators, online bullying, all of that stuff. When we're just hiding the problem, we're masking the problem when we should be more positive and go, when they leave your school, they're all going to have one of these and we need to teach them how to use it responsibly. I know we can talk for a long time and maybe we can have a part two all about the 50-year version, but I do agree with you. I don't think we'll have robots because people still need people to inspire them and that only comes to human-to-human contact. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.